Well, hi there, and welcome to another episode of Endeavors. Today, I speak with director Colin West and director Aaron James. That's coming up on Endeavors. Well, hi there, happy Sunday, and welcome to another episode of Endeavors. Hope you enjoyed the SAG Awards, if you got a chance to see them. If not, they're going to be on Netflix, which is super cool. Hopefully the Oscars will follow suit soon. Uh, Apologies for the delay in getting this up. But I hope you had a good weekend nonetheless. And I've got two great but very different directors on the show today. And uh, we're going to start with uh, a lovely little sci-fi fantasy film starring Jim Gaffigan, who plays an engineer that dreams of going to space. It's a very nuanced performance from the comedian, and there are subtle hints throughout the film about the true reality in which he is living, and it all it all comes together uh, at the very end, as many great scripts do. And the man behind it all is writer-director Colin West. And I got the chance to speak with him about the film last week. This is me and Colin West. comedy you look at Adam Sandler or or Jim Carrey or you know these kind of great dramatic actors and I think you know Jim too like this isn't his first rodeo I mean he's done he's been doing sort of like these sort of like indie drama you know kind of features and working his way up in that realm you know Troop Zero obviously and many films and he um uh yeah it just has such a passion for filmmaking and acting and honestly I mean it was funny I was on set and in the early days and he was like you know what Colin if it if it was up to me I would act from Monday to Friday and then do comedy on the weekends and uh and I think that's like really kind of um kind of shows you what kind of what kind of person he is what kind of actor he really is he's very passionate about it and he he came with such great ideas it was a it was a real no-brainer when when his his name came across the table for sure was it always the plan for him to play the dual role and and how do you direct that it was it was always the plan and i think that's another thing that sort of drew him to the role um was this this sort of the fun of that you know obviously the the he plays the lead role cameron and then his sort of like dark sided twin uh, Kent, who moves in across the street. And it is a challenge. And I think that challenge was what made it so exciting um, as an actor and as a director, too. I mean, you know, it was funny. It was like you almost had to treat it as two different people, you know, and in a in a large way, Jim was really able to like he really did transform. I mean, it was kind of funny, like the way um, he would become two different people on set where in the morning he was one character. And then at lunch, we'd change him into the other character, put a wig on, put a mustache on and you know, get him ready for the afternoon where he then played the sides, you know, the other angles and stuff like that. And it was like that transition, watching him sort of like fall from one character to another in such a natural way um, was like a joy to watch, I think, for everybody, but also made he looked so different that as a director, like I just treated him like a different actor. You know what I mean? And he acted differently, like on set, off camera, too, like he sort of like put on that suit and the mustache and stuff and he became sort of this stoic, quiet guy. And so, um, you know, it was it was kind of easier than you'd think, you know? I mean, obviously we're all human. And so, you know, it wasn't actually a different person, but it was kind of fun to 
to play in that sandbox. I mean, I got to say, so. You know, the, the film is all about following your dreams. And, you know, if you ask a lot of kids, astronaut is, is always high up on the list of, oh, yeah. of, of aspirations. Why do we want to be astronauts? What do you think it is about that profession specifically that is inspiring or intriguing to us, especially in our youth? I believe that it is so intriguing because it like I know it's been said before, but it really is the final frontier. I mean, for people who want adventure, for people who want to explore, the cosmos is sort of where it is. And I think especially as a kid, you know, you you look back in history and I, you know, obviously being an astronomer isn't necessarily like a new, you know, it's it, it, sorry, it is a new idea. I mean, in, in society, I mean, you know, astronauts have only really been around for 50 years or less. So, you know, that idea is kind of new to the zeitgeist in a lot of ways, but humanity has always looked for what's out there, answering the bigger questions. And I think, you know, astronauts in particular, of course, yeah, Dan, I wanted to be an astronaut. I still want to be an astronaut. You know, if somebody gave me the offer to do that instead of filmmaking, I do in a heartbeat, um, but I'm also afraid of flying. So that wouldn't really work so well. Uh, I uh, I do think though, that there is a kind of magic to it and this kind of this way in which like, yeah, the stars kind of embody dreams. Um, and there's always been that sort of like look towards the stars. I think it's just a really kind of fascinating, um, intriguing thing, especially when you're a kid and you're just sort of learning lo what life is, you know? It, you know, it struck me as I was watching this, it, it in a weird way it feels timely with all the the objects that have been shot down both in in the U.S. and in right. Canada in, in Canada recently. What what do you make of sort of what's happening and and do you see any parallels to your film? For sure, yeah. It's funny, Dan. Like that kind of stuff is. It's like it's not new. I mean, you know, it's it's these things where like. Um, I remember they brought down it, like uh, part of my research in making this movie was like seeing objects, you know, or, like kind of researching objects that have fallen from, you know, orbit and stuff. And, you know, there's been many examples. One one famous one is in Australia and, you know, kind of scattered across a whole town, um, this satellite that 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 fell. And that was a kind of a big inspiration for the movie as well. Um, I don't know. I guess like I think it it's like. And maybe it even goes back to that last question. There's kind of this like intrigue of things that are like above us. Like it doesn't seem like it all defies physics, right? Like that's why I'm so terrified of flying. I'm like, why the hell is this airplane in the air? I mean, I get it, you know, like because of the physics of it, but like, I'm sort of like, yeah, but there's nothing below it, you know, like, so it's, it's about believing in the fantastic, you know, even watching a simple airplane fly. And and I think that that idea that the, the idea of the fantastic works its way into the film quite a bit. And, and I think that is kind of the arc of the movie as well. So there's there's a great line um, that I think the doctor says where he says the universe is factual. Um, but, you know, if you talk to somebody like Neil deGrasse Tyson, the universe also wants to kill us in yes. many, many different ways. Um, yes. <laughs> what? What fascinates you the most about the cosmos? That's a great question. I think that like it's it's yeah, I think you're totally right that there are different approaches to sort of conceptualizing or digesting these big existential ideas or questions like in the way that different scientists will kind of like, um, you know, portray it. I mean, and that was part of in the way in, in a big way, like making the movie was this idea of this duality. Right. So Jim, going back to that, like Jim playing the two characters, um, you know, playing this kind of mirrored version of himself who believes in the factual, but he believes in the fantastic and kind of like, what is that interplay? Because in a way, they're both true, you know, that that both then they can both sort of coexist. It's kind of like this you know, almost like religion versus science, you know, debate that's been happening forever, where like these things can coexist. But I think, I don't know, I just, as far as like what fascinates me about the cosmos, like, I think it kind of is shown in this movie, like, uh, in a lot of ways, like, you know, this idea of things 
and it's brought up again and again in the movie, this quote, um, it's not that simple, right? Every character in the film says that at some point. And um, that idea is a, it's a very science oriented idea where, you know, a lot of scientists, I mean, sort of like science 101 is the simplest answer is usually the right one. And I think that that, that idea of like, um, you know, sometimes things just happen. Like it's not that simple. Well, maybe it is that simple. You know, those kind of things are what really fascinate me about the cosmos, about that kind of um, those big existential questions. I mean, I'm a very sort of like neurotic guy who like kind of like always has those questions on my mind as I kind of walk around. I'm very, I live very like examined. And I think that's um, it just works its way into my work. And I think that that's almost that question is like what I'm kind of exploring in the film, you know? So, yeah. So that, so that brings up the greater question then of what is reality? What is reality to you? Absolutely. So you're right. It is talked, it is touched on in the film. I think reality is necessarily subjective. And I say that because every organism of feeling has its own way of interpreting interpreting the the world around them right so you yes like humans have we have our own way we have language we have all these things to sort of explain we have science we have the mystical we have religious whatever but i do think there is like um i don't know it all comes down to sort of that subjective lens right where in in asking that question, I mean, you brought up like the doctor character, Tony Shalhoub's character, kind of asking like, sometimes the reality in your head is more important than the reality outside. And I do think that that can be very true, especially, you know, this movie about, you know, dementia and, you know, this sort of like the, the degradation of the mind, like, yeah, I mean, my grandfather went through dementia in his later years and watching and sort of feeling out that subjective reality compared to what everybody else was going through it doesn't negate his reality right just because it's maybe not true doesn't mean it didn't happen you know or it, it's like yeah there's these these sort of big broad questions about reality that i think are kind of touched on here in a very subjective lens so that's a long answer dan but i think it's a very good question <laughs> i think another topic that i was sort of or i guess concept if you will that i was struck by was the idea of laws of attraction i think in a way you know how um the the kids are drawn to each other and then you know there's there's there, there's a push and a pull i wonder is that something that you that you researched at all that that concept for sure and i mean to be totally honest like that's gravity you know and we all actually legitimately have gravitational forces but obviously they're not as big as our planet. So our planet takes over and we get pulled down to its core. But like, you know, walking around, I mean, you know, the moon influencing the tides, you know, like that's gravity. That's that's the effects of gravity. And obviously we're going around the sun and those and then our sun is going around the galaxy and the galaxy around the universe. So there is this kind of spinning circular, you know, kind of way in which the universe exists, which it was very interesting to me to explore in this film and bringing it back towards like the small scale like bringing it back to what's what it's like on the inside rather than necessarily like the physics of our interior realm rather than the exterior realm and so looking at these scientific concepts such as the law of attraction and examining what that means as far as like our own human connections emotionally or sociologically and that kind of stuff that stuff really interests me like because i do think some of those those scientific laws and principles can really work their way into, um, you know, they go beyond science and into the other sort of more humanistic or, um, you know, humanities, you know, they go kind of across all the humanities. And so I really wanted to kind of thread in some of those scientific, um, you know, yeah, concepts. And, and I think that was a really fun one. That's an early one in the film where they talk about the law of attraction as everybody's kind of meeting and, and then, and then it cuts to gravity and how, you know, we're all being pulled on each other. And it's just the whole way that the whole plot functions in the movie as well. So. And Nora has a really good line about not boxing ourselves in, you know, she's talking about her, her sexuality and what that might be or, or, totally. or, or, or dreams why are we so hesitant to put each other in boxes? Look, I think that that just, I think it 
makes for smaller answers. Like it makes for more minuscule uh, viewpoints. Um, the more we box ourselves in, I think, uh, you know, science and like Nora's story, you know, that, you know, her, her story about sort of sexual, sexual exploration, this idea of exploring and even going back to what we were talking about before, like exploration of the cosmos, et cetera, like all that stuff is very, it's the same sort of, it's the same sort of like chord on a violin, right? Like it's all born from the same kind of like tone. Um, and I guess like, I don't know, I, I, I'm, I love that idea, but I guess it's sort of all, it's all related. I don't know. I love, I love this. I love these questions. Like these are like some of the best I've ever had. Anyway, sorry, go on, Dan. <laughs> um, you know, you, you talked earlier and there's been always a debate about, you know, science versus religion and, and, and faith. And some people will say things happen for a reason. Some people will say everything is random. Things can both be random and happen for a reason. If you subscribe to a certain philosophy you know it's it's ordered chaos i think is, is is a term that we're used to where where do you stand on that well i actually probably stand somewhere in the middle in in the way that like i kind of support all sides and i do that like wholeheartedly i think again kind of going back to in the movie it talks about um you know this quote again like it's not that simple well towards the end of the movie eventually they kind of come back around to well, maybe it is that simple. And I think that there is something about being kind of open to that and being open to all sides. Again, like kind of keeping a broader perspective, I think is really healthy, Dan. So I guess for me, like I do try to, I don't try to judge idea or thought, you know, like I don't, I don't try to judge that. Obviously I think, you know, it's, it's more about like um, broadening of perspectives, you know, so uh and in inclusivity i guess um yeah if that answers yeah no yeah no um you know it's funny we we talked about jim gaffigan off off the top and how comedians have a lot of great latent dramatic performances but you also cast two other actors that are known for comedy in michael ian black um and and tony shalhoub uh how how did those two come about for you uh yeah they were great they they came about um you know it's funny it's like when you have jim gaffigan and ray seahorn on a project people sort of are it's the law of attraction we'll go back to that um you know it, it sort of brings people together and i think they had heard about the project and we ended up reaching out and they really liked you know the script and also the kind of you know both of those characters that they play are very it, it's it's layered because in the first like if you see the movie once you think that during during those scenes that they are crazy, especially Tony Salub. You're like, what are you saying, dude? Like, you're a doctor, like, and you're just like talking about this like existential, like, what are you talking about? Um, and and then you know you come around to the end and you realize that like it's actually Gaffigan's character who's misinterpreting these you know these things that the that the characters are saying. So it's I think for them it was a really fun kind of like. Thing to come in and play you know and so um again and, and then getting to you know play opposite jim they both know jim and our friends and so it was like it was fun to see them kind of play off each other and between set they were having a good time so or between takes and stuff so um so yeah that was it was a joy though it was a real joy working with those with those powerhouses uh and i think one other actress i want to mention because she, she i think her performance feels the most naturalistic in a way uh is caitlin uh, who who plays Nora? People might remember her from uh, The Walking Dead or Tagged yep. or uh, Light as a Feather. How early or late on in the process did you find her? Uh, she came on, uh, you know, fairly early as kind of in in the middle section. Our casting director Jessica Sherman um, kind of linked us up with her, and it was she was just such like an easy person to get along with. And the collaboration was really fun. I think that kind of naturalism um, was something we were really trying to latch on with the kids in particular, like the kind of two high schoolers, their relationship, because you have to like, you're watching this couple, 
as they're falling in love, as they're falling out of love, and then as they're re-falling in love. And, and so it was like finding a, a pair that could really kind of show that innocence. And when Caitlin came on, it was really fun to shoot because we, we actually went out and shot, there's this scene at the train. We always call it the, tr the train scene where they're kind of, those two characters are kind of like confessing a lot to each other and um, being very vulnerable. And it's also edited very sort of like viscerally and cerebrally. And um, what we ended up doing with that scene is actually uh, we shot it um, very typically. Like we actually had it all scheduled. We had our whole crew come out. We did the everything. We got it all lit. We shot it. And then we were watching it, like watching dailies. And they're just like, it just felt a little scripted. It felt a little bit written and kind of like false. And so one weekend while we were shooting, I I asked if the if those two could like come out with me, just me, one producer, sound guy, and cinematographer, and kind of do a little DIY shoot on our own. Um, so we just like took a little skeleton crew and went out and shot a very kind of like um, off the cuff, handheld. It was very fun. We just went out for like an hour or two. And just, I just had them repeat the scene over and over and it just became really fluid and it felt really natural. And Caitlin like really led the charge with that. I think she's, especially with her like work in television and, you know, Walking Dead, like is used to kind of like take after take, but it was a way to really loosen everybody up. And I think it really helped. And and that's a, that's a real sort of standout scene in the movie for sure. Well, I, th I think that scene in particular other than the ending, perhaps, really encompasses what the whole film is about. Um, and, you know, it, I'm and especially with a film like this, I think the two things that are really important are editing. And the other thing I noticed was the soundtrack. Um, as a director, how how closely do you work with the post-production crew, especially on something like that? Totally. Um we were really lucky. Our post-production crew was awesome. I'm so glad you brought up the editing and the score. So our editor was Kira Burton. Um, I had worked with her a few times in the past, and she is um, like an all-star with performance, uh, especially. And um, we spent probably 50% of our time working on the last 10 minutes of the movie. Uh, it's sort of like this very montage -y kind of tonal, um, you know, uh, piece towards the end. And 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 working very closely with our composer, Mark Hadley, um, who I also worked with a bunch before. So the three of us, um, especially sort of like every day we were talking and figuring out like, OK, how do we change the score to make the, you know, to make this beat land and have the thing. So it was very um, it was very orchestrated, but incredibly organic in that they, they were um, in that we have such shorthand over working together for the course of you know many years together. So that was, um, you know, a whole writing process in itself. And that whole ending really kind of found itself in the edit. I'm glad that you brought that up. You know, it's funny. It, it didn't, I didn't really notice this until the end. But if people pay close attention, I think the character of Stan, the son, actually holds the key maybe to what is going on. Um, yes, totally. <laughs> how, you know, how... What kind of conversations did you have with the kid that that played Sam in terms of because the like the character's not in it that much and and he doesn't stay a lot but mm -hmm. like there there are I think there are some some especially right at the very end there um so what what were those conversations like with with him Sure yeah Dan well um I don't know if you noticed or not but that character is actually played by six different kids. So uh, it yeah. it's it was quite a um, quite a journey, sort of working with all these kids who were all supposed to be the same character, and actually two of them are Jim Gaffigan's actual kids. I I did I did, I did see that on I did see that on IMDb, and like yeah. it was it was funny. It's like is this real? Because I didn't at first, like there was like a moment I'm like oh wait didn't Sam have short hair in the last right. scene and now, got, <laughs> and now he's got long hair, um, right. you know? And I was like is that a continuity thing? And then I realized like oh no wait <laughs> that's yeah. intentional. Yeah, absolutely. I think that, you know, it's it's the Sam character, you know, being this kind of ghost uh, within uh, Cameron's past and Cameron and Aaron's relationship really is what it comes down to. Um, and the way in which they're both kind of um, dealing with that and that loss. I mean, it, it's sort of um, it is it's a, it's it's very much of an, a, you know, 
if nothing else, it's it's a very emotional linchpin of the movie and sort of examines, especially for the the, the middle-aged couple, like you're seeing um those two like you're seeing the the repercussions almost of that Sam character. And I'm I was very uh as far as like you asked about working with the kids, again, like it was strange because each one of them only came on for like an hour. You know what I mean? Like like the 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 Sam never had any lines. Like we deliberately kept him like kind of on the fringes of everything. And so he's sort of a character, but you know, it's like you notice him, but he's just kind of gone and and I like that. I think that like, you know, working with those kids was great. I mean, they all had their own personalities. They were all really excited to be there. It was really fun. Um, so uh, yeah, I don't know. It was just like its own little uh, sandbox, you know? Uh, and finally, was there a favorite scene that you enjoyed filming? A favorite scene? You know, the, the, the filming, um, you know, in the movie, there's uh, Gaffigan is like the host of a children's science TV show, right? So we we ended up like shooting on this soundstage. We built a whole set for like this Bill Nye the Science Guy kind of show. And that stuff I think was really fun. It was actually our first day of shooting. And I think that got everybody in this like really good mood to pursue this project where, you know, we got to kind of have fun. Jim did some improving. Like we had kind of more time than we needed to shoot it almost. So it was um it was like a uh, yeah, I think that initially really I think got things off on the right track. But I think the whole shoot was really it was it was a really positive uh, environment. So I was I was happy about how it all went down. Well, uh, the film is Linoleum, uh, and I believe it comes out next week. February twenty fourth is February it comes 24th. out in select theaters. Yep. Well, I hope uh, all the listeners, whoever tunes in, gets to see it. I think it's 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 a really great nuanced film that ma- that makes you think, which I think is what uh, is what is what cinema should all be about. <laughs> it's very active, active, uh, active watching. So, yeah. Colin West, thanks so much for your time today. Thanks so much, Dan. Appreciate it. All right, cheers. Bye. That was my conversation with Colin West, the writer-director of the new film, Linoleum, which hit select theaters on February 24th. From fantasy, we move into hyper-reality and the Canadian film Guitar Lessons, which is uh, set and shot in the Prairies, uh, and stars well-known Canadian musician Corb Lund, and I believe his first leading role in a film. With the exception of a couple of the cast members, uh, the film is largely composed of non-professional actors or um, for first-time performers. Uh, And it does lend a certain amount of authenticity to the project. And I got to speak with the idea behind uh, that casting choice, as well as Corblund, and what makes this film Canadian, uh, with its writer-director, Aaron James. Aaron James, how are you today, my man? I'm well. How are you? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Um, Guitar Lessons, uh, which is a film, by the way, not that we're having guitar lessons today. Um, I'm curious, you, this is a a lovely little sort of almost like a father-son drama in in a way. Um, The decision to cast... Corb Lund uh, as your lead, who many may know as a musician, but not necessarily uh, an actor. How did how did that come about for you? Yeah, uh, Corb's been a friend of mine for years. I wanted an actor who could play guitar genuinely, and uh, he was a friend and he was around. And Corb is known as a musician, of course, and the country star that he is, but he uh, he's also has done some acting and studied acting and, and done some acting in the United States. So we were glad to get him. And um, 
you know, oh, the good, I would say the, the good, it, or it seems like the good majority um, of this cast hadn't really acted too much before. Um, as, as a director, how do you approach uh, instructing first-time actors? Yeah, same way I work with any kind of actor, but I and I like working with first-time actors. I like working with actors who know what they're doing and who are who are trained in their craft and who take it seriously and practice it. And then I like working with people who've never done it before. I kind of like the two extremes. Um, it's the middle ground that I find kind of frustrating. People who think they're actors or who dabble in acting or who think they know what they're doing, but they haven't really studied or become professionals at it. I find uh, first-time actors uh, or inexperienced actors can, in an odd way, um, be more relaxed and take direction even better than um, semi-trained or or. or or a amateur actors, dabbling actors. What's the right adjective? It, yeah, uh, I mean, back in the day, I think they used to say people who would like moonlight as an actor, maybe, although that's kind of more for theater. But um, yeah, you know, well, I it, it's interesting you say that because one of the things that, that strikes me about a film like this and when, when, when you're having a lot of sort of non-professional actors is that they think about it less and so there's a i think a, a more of a maybe a, a naturalist style than to someone who has studied and perhaps over analyzes a performance i don't disagree um you know it it strikes me i was looking at the character of ray and he seems like a guy, at least at first, who is a bit reluctant to confront and embrace his past. Um, as as we as we reach a certain age, or or not even that, why do you think it is hard for for some of us to to look back and wonder what could have been? I don't think it is. I think we do that all the time. Do you, I mean, how, how would you describe Ray and his relationship uh, to Leland? I would describe him as something of an uncle. He's a mature male. He's not really a father and he's more than a friend, but he's uh, something of an uncle figure. Uncles can be rather close, I'm told. And that that is something I've um, noticed within within ind indigenous culture. You know they, how they refer to their their close friends as either um, uncle or or or, or cousin. Um, where where does that come from? Do you think? Yeah, I I can't uh, say where that comes from. Other than your observation is correct. It's the uh... Indigenous people, the Cree people, and the Dene and the Beaver, and the Métis, Blackfoot and the Blood that I know, um, all of them in Alberta and in these parts and these regions make it uh, the line, the relationship is uh is very important and, and and auntie is important uncle is important cousin is important and and referring to one another in the terms of their relationship is done much more than we munios do um i a lot throughout the film i i, I sort of noticed this I don't know if I would call it a struggle, but you know the 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 tension in the relationship between Corb's character Ray um, and the I guess in, indigenous people of the the community that he's a part of, whether it's Ernie or or or, or the banker or, or or Cindy. As a society, 
where do you think we are in the overall relationships of these two cultures? I think that Ray's relationship with Ernie could hardly be any better. They, um, and I think his relationship with the banker has nothing to do, uh, the tense relationship with the banker has nothing to do with culture or ethnicity or race. Uh, I think the film is a good example of uh, a, a community because these are the communities I live in and come from where we don't spend much time thinking or bothering or or asking ourselves what race we are. We we in the north we have to find out ways to get along, and people are either useful or they're not useful. People are either uh, of some value or contribution or they're not to life in high level Peace River, um, and whether they're immigrants or indigenous or colonizers um, is absolutely <laughs> important. And I think that is found in the film, or I think that is expressed well in the film. Um, as far as our cultures and society, I, I, I have no idea, no comment, at, and and really no one can, because there, there's, there's no one uh, in the world who can comment or have an idea that's that's all uh nonsense basically it's it's relationships between individuals so um and there's a capacity to have a great relationships between people of different ethnicities and cultures and races and there's capacities to to fight over nothing um so i think most of the debate I think that you're kind of alluding to is nonsense and it all comes down to uh, one person's relationship with another person and the least important um, element of that I would think is race. There, There is something to be said for I um when we see small towns being portrayed on, on camera um, and, you know, I, I, I know that that's your background for you as, as, as a storyteller, as a creator, um, how important is it for you to kind of write what you know and, and write from experience rather than say setting, setting a film in, in a big city? Well, I'd, as a writer, I do both. Uh, I, I've said things in big cities and I said things in small towns. So it's not really a difference. It's it's a matter of capturing where you are, and, uh, knowing the people and knowing the language and their voices and how they move and how they relate to one another. Stories tell themselves. And as a storyteller, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm a listener and the story gets told to me before I try to tell it. So that can be done in big cities or small towns. And it's different because uh, landscapes and communities have characters. You know, the desert is different than the forest and the city is different from the small town. So there, there's not just humans have characters, dogs have characters and, and buildings have characters. So as a storyteller, you, try to get the authentic character of the setting as well as as the people and the dogs and the cars in the film so it's it's just different and yet it's not yeah so it's, it's like it's, it's like trying to capture the character between a man and a woman it's different but it's it's not the the character of ray almost seems like at least to start uh, a, a bit of a reluctant role model. Um, and the idea of a role model is something that's been around and, and, and is very interesting. But 
why why do you think we can be hesitant or speaking specifically to him why do you think he is hesitant to have Leland see him in this way well he's a busy man he's got no reason for it. he's got no use for a 15 year old kid he can't put him to work there's no that this kid doesn't fit in his life he needs there's things he needs he doesn't need a lot he's a rich man who's a, 50 years old and and uh, got everything that he wants mostly except um a woman <laughs> except the relationships in his life um he's got every toy he wants in the garage he's got all more money than he'll ever need um he's struggling to find a woman and he's struggling to find his place in, in the, so yeah, he, he has no interest in being saving the world or helping the, or helping the community. He understandably looks at people when he meets them, are you useful or are you not useful? <laughs> and the kid's not useful. So I don't mind giving you a ride home, but that's it. I'm busy. Go away. And, and, but the kid doesn't listen. Kid, finds him very useful, right? The kid, you know how to play guitar and I don't. So the kid persists and and there at the basketball court, you know, Ray um, pivots. He, uh, you know, he, he kind of does, damn it, you know, maybe, maybe there is some connection. I'd recognize the guitar. And when he recognizes that the guitar that the kid is packing around actually is an important guitar it's he knows the history of this guitar and where it came from and the guy that had it before he before the kid got it so it, he that's his first uh moment or maybe i should step up here a little bit and and do the right thing this kid is more than just a snot-nosed kid on the side of the road so there's more to the story he realizes when he sees the guitar so he says you know what if if you can find a way to make yourself useful to me, because Ray is a utilitarian character, if you can if you can chop wood for me, my time's worth more than your time, right? <laughs> if you can chop wood for me for two hours, I'll give you one hour of guitar lessons. And and so he's not even then he's not going around being charitable per se. He's just uh, willing to <laughs> to explore the idea of doing the right thing in a in a utilitarian fashion but also it strikes me that you know we can find that he realizes that maybe we can find meaning and and beauty in the smaller things in life how 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 do you feel about that that sometimes it we have to sort of just take it down a notch to to find I don't know if you want to call it inner peace, you know, but 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 to find the the, the beauty of all things. I mean, yeah, I'm not sure I understand the question. I, I, I'm not much interested in finding the beauty of all things, and I don't think Ray is either. <laughs> um, they they present themselves when they present themselves, and and you know the life is like the weather and there's and there's good days and bad days and beautiful days and days to do this and days to do that and ray ray's uh he's broken and he's got issues and he and he's got problems that he doesn't even know about but he's he's uh sensible <laughs> and so he uh, he's certainly not trying to find peace he's just trying to get through as as honestly and sensible in the most sensible way he can. Um, there are a lot of um, beautiful, like, landscape shots. There are some great moments between um, Corb and, and, and Caden, who plays Leland. Uh, as a filmmaker, was there, were there one or two moments that you really enjoyed filming? Well, yeah, sure. Uh, so the last scene, the, the 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 sunset scene out on the river, you know, it's breathtaking, and and I've lived in places like that all my life, and and so it's it was 
it was a great day to be able to 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 just shoot that and and no hope that it was going to wind up on the screen someday and so that's one of course that comes to mind um but then other you know and, and again you can't you can't plan on this stuff and and nobody knew that the sunset was going to be like that on the thursday evening that we slotted that in and it just happened there were other days that you know and some days you get the bounce and some days you don't but there's an interesting shot where um ray is tending to his shin tending to the wound on the side of the road and you know that everything went wrong that day and and we got the wrong we had the wrong lighting and <laughs> and we didn't get the location we wanted and we just had to pull over on a gravel road somewhere and shoot this and uh <laughs> and we did and it's one of my favorite shots of the film and i don't even know why i uh but that's filmmaking and that's that's life and that's art and, and i i found a spot in the ditch and i told the cameraman to come here and put your sticks here and and where to frame that and it's just perfect and i guess yeah and then the the scene where where corb is tuning up the guitar and and fixing the guitar in the garage so i don't know why that turned out so well but that just turned out beautifully and that's my got to be a, a favorite scene in the film it was it was and you know there's a lot of actors who could have played that part but i don't know anyone i don't know anyone in the world who could have played that scene um better than corp because uh, his his comfort with the guitar and with a power drill and tools and you know it that that scene was made for him and uh it's a beautiful scene i forget what the question is but that's what i'm talking about some of my favorite scenes in the film uh i i did notice uh i think it was at least one or two times that i heard um a, a song of corpse um playing over top of a scene i'm curious did did you work with him in saying like do, do you have music that would be appropriate did 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 he write an original song for the film how how did how did that work no, we did the opposite, actually. We, there's no chord music in the film, and we did that on purpose. Oh, okay. Oh, I guess there was just one song that I think I think maybe it wasn't his, but Santa like his, the one where he says, um, I don't need Oprah and I don't need... Right. Uh, yeah, it, <laughs> it, 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 it just, it, it sounded like him, but... Right, yeah. yeah. Fair enough. Um, That was me, actually. Oh, that was you? Yeah, that was me. Oh, Okay. Before I was made, before I was a musician, I, or before I was a filmmaker, I was a musician. That's how I how I know Corp. So that's that's a song of mine that we dropped in. Just <laughs> well, there you go. My my apologies. Um, no, it's 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 always tough. It's you know asking a, a filmmaker whether there's a message or whether they want whether there's something they want the audience to ascertain from from any given piece of work is 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 there something that you would say you know that you would hope the audience takes away from this film at all well sure that's why we make them but uh if i could tell you about it i wouldn't have to make the movie so <laughs> right fair enough no i've had wonderful reaction i mean would I, i'm getting all the reactions i wanted i and not everyone likes the film it's it's uh clearly but those who do like it really like it it's a strange experience um how you can be in a room in humboldt saskatchewan or or uh high prairie alberta and uh you know, there's a packed audience, 110 strangers packed into a room and, and everyone loves the film <laughs> and gushes and wants to meet you after. But there's usually always two people who really hate it. <laughs> and 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 I uh, I don't know, that's a bit of a curiosity to me. So. But that doesn't bother me. What? But I I know from experience from seeing the audience watch the film that people are going away with something and 
and you see from the comments on our in our in inbox and and on our social media that people uh, are being touched and moved and affected by the film and in the ways that uh, I wanted as an artist. So, so yeah, the film is doing its job to, to those for whom it was made. It is doing its job and uh, it, it's glancing off a lot of people and, and, and even upsetting others, but, uh, but there's a, there's an audience for it for whom uh, it's doing its job. Well, it, the film is Guitar Lessons, and it's opening in theaters uh, starting on Friday, February 24th, I do believe. That's uh, right. Yeah, this Friday, February 24th. Well, so we've been in lots of theaters already. We've been we've been across the country in 70 towns now and in the prairies, and now um, We've just gotten a, a national release, and so we're opening from the Maritimes to Vancouver Island on this Friday, and uh, and the next week some more film theaters are being added. So we're delighted about that, and uh, the reviews have been some of our reviews have been have been great, um, and uh, and audience reaction is great, and we we encourage people. I'd encourage people to come out and take a look at it. Wherever you are, find a theater near you to go see Guitar Lessons. <laughs> Aaron James, thank you uh, so much for your time today. Thank you. Alrighty, have a good one. Cheers. And that was my interview with filmmaker Aaron James. His film Guitar Lessons is currently in select cities across Canada. That does it for me today. My thanks to Aaron James and also my thanks to Colin West. Go see Guitar Lessons. Go see Linoleum. My congratulations to Canadian Brendan Fraser on his SAG Award. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you next time. Bye for now.